and then the bourbon gooey. the privilege and the opportunity to come by way of television and radio. Um, today we're celebrating a number of events. Um, communion within the United Methodist Church. Communion is uh, normally celebrated about every other month. We're not like the Catholics that celebrate it every, every Sunday or Lutherans that celebrate it the first Sunday of the month. John Wesley felt that it was important for people to participate in the body and blood of Christ in a manner that was just um, um, magnifying truly unto the Lord. This morning we open our worship service to God be the glory in the red hymnals number 40, red hymnals number 40. And as we circulate those cards in that pillow, you'll want to make sure and put your name on it and um, you can put it in either green, which is kind of, what, Wisconsin colors? Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay, again, response out of him. Amen. Green and gold. Green and gold. So if you'd feel comfortable standing, if you want to stand, opening him to God be the glory, red hymnals number 40, please.
seated if you'd like. Our praise song is One Pure and Holy Passion. Red praise number seven, please. center would you call your commander to come front and center Jack. we have a little um, certificate here and Jack would you kind of tell us the genesis of this because this has been a kind of a roller coaster here you want to grab the mics Mike redundant <laughs> Those Wisconsin folks, you know. <laughs> Mike, would you like to introduce your commander? And then the commander is going to let us in on a little secret. And it's not so much a secret because I guess you knew about it for a few months. But kind of a roller coaster um, information to me. Um, but I guess the two of you have kind of been in the know, and maybe Ray back there. Introduce your commander, Mike, and then your commander is going to 
introduce why he's here, okay? Okay. This is my deputy commander, Jack Court. And uh, I'd appreciate it if you'd all welcome him and let me know he's very welcome. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I'm Jack Forrest, the commander of both um, Pulse 217 and um, Every year, the VFW does different programs. Like you see up there. of the year, student of the year, fire um, EMT. So currently, I'm working on a program, chaplain of the year. And what I want to do today is to have everybody think what Mike does, good things that he does for you, for uh, church, and around for the community. And then I want to get together um, after the um, service here um, during the coffee time, and then we can do a little brain mashing and see what we can come up with. One put an application in and um, nominate Mike for chaplain of the year for Minnesota. Amen. 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 And Mike, on behalf of the Olivet United Methodist Church, we just want to show our appreciation. And I did a little kind of skeletal, and we're going to add some meat to this. And everybody's going to kind of, um, in the Air Force, we used to say when we had our evals, evaluations that try to make us walk on water, and probably more appropriate in the Navy than the Air Force walking on water. This, this is a little skeleton, and this is a certificate, and I'm going to present this to your commander to present to you, and then I want it circulated so they can get a, get a little um, brain, brain knowledge of what's going on here. Mike, on behalf of everyone in Mount many members of the church, we would like to congratulate Mike Liberty on being the Justice Minnesota Chaplain of the Year Award. This honor is certainly well-deserved. We know how hard Mike has worked over the years to do the best for Jesus. Mike is always faithful to the church, God, and country, serving as lay delegate to the Minnesota Annual Conference, a trustee member, serving on the Pastor Parish Relations Committee, lay preacher, Sunday morning sermon sharer, praise team singer, regular Bible study participant and leader. If anyone, if everyone were exactly as Mike, our world would be a seriously a better place. I, I, with everyone, is proud of Mike, and we're eager to see how the Lord is going to continue to use Mike in his service over the years. May Mike always keep Jesus first in his life. circulate that mic so everybody gets an, has an opportunity. On behalf of all of it, United Methodist Church, I picked up a little token here. This is something that you can wear around your neck, Mike. Do we have cameras shooting pictures? Yes. Getting by way of television? Everybody? I'm uh, Speechless. Imagine that. I'm not. First time for everybody. I just, I just want to share with everybody, including on TV, that even though I get awards and held high, I'm, I'm really humbled by this experience, and I really feel like I'm on the right path. Not the path that I thought I was going to be on when I was a kid. Not the path necessarily anybody else wanted me on, wanted me to be on. I'm on his path. And I just like to say and I pray and hope that all of you, everybody within the sound of my voice, is also on the right path. The path that the Lord has picked out for you. The path that the Lord wants you to walk. Even though I can't find my way to the rejections of feeding meetings occasionally, I just want to say uh, I'm, I'm going to pray for all of you. That we're all, I feel contentment. I'm not happy, I'm full of joy. 
I think that's what people pick up about me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a trustee and a VFW member, blah, 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 and veteran. No, no, I am. That's secondary. Secondary the fact that I'm a son of the most high Jesus Christ. Amen. I just pray that we all keep that in mind. No matter what we get, our honor, this is a great honor. Thank you both. <laughs> but um, we're here for him, by him, and we should be to him. So thank you very much, Randy and Jack, for showing up and presenting me with this reward. I am humble. Doesn't happen very often. <laughs> but you know what? I, I just want to say thanks very much, and God bless you all. Thank you. Amen. And immediately following the coffee hours in honor of Mike, and Mike, here's a little token of appreciation. You, this is something you can wear around your neck. Oh, yeah, that one fits. You might just kind of circulate that this morning. So if you have any ideas on how Mike should... Um, it fits. It does. It looks beautiful. <laughs> that came all the way from Wisconsin, I'll have you know. It's made right. It's made in the USA. So be thinking about something, in a, in, I think I'm going to ask maybe Tina if she can kind of co co um, consolidate all your opinions and your thoughts and, and she can kind of write this up. I just can't look down. Well, you want to look up anyway. And we're going to continue on this. I, I understand that Mike's going to be turning the, is it the big 4-0? Oh, no, 38. 38. The big 5-0 next Sunday. So um, we're going to try to coordinate everything on one Sunday. But, I mean, Mike just doesn't, it just doesn't stop flowing here. So um, next um, Sunday, it's Mike's 50th. Is it the big 5-0? Yeah. The big five. Okay. <laughs> Amen. So let us continue by turning to our prayer petition and intercession, which is found on in the purple hymnals, number 881. 881 purple, please. This um, on page 881, it's something that normally we would almost memorize. Many churches it used to be um, memorized and it used to be recited, the Apostles' Creed. And this is kind of something that was um, almost militarily done in the first century during the livelihood of the early apostles and disciples. They had certain nuggets, nuggets of truth and belief. Um, now, if I were to ask you what the ethos meant, what would you say, ethos? Or the sign of the fish, what, what, did, what did that represent? Christianity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Christians would often identify one with another when it was public by just maybe doing the sign of the fish and that would suggest that they were a follower of Jesus Christ. They had to be very careful. Um, they could lose their life. They could lose their life if they were an outspoken Christian. So oftentimes they would use the fish. Later on in the catacombs, um, when I did the research, the archeological research on this, um, they developed what they called the Apostles' Creed. In the Apostles' Creed, if you look very closely on 881, and if you look at the asterisk in the bottom there, the asterisk, the traditional use of this creed includes these words, what? He descended into hell. And many of you that are as old as I am, or um, maybe older, you remember EUB tr tradition, early apostolic procession 
in the first and second century, and it became very popular, the Nicene Creed, and I'm not going to go into all the historical um, footnoting on this, um, but it was these nuggets of truth that people memorized. I was having my car serviced here a few weeks ago, and one of the servicemen said, we have one of our mechanics that have memorized various books of the Bible. And I thought to myself, books of the Bible? Maybe chapters of the Bible. And he pointed a gentleman that was showing a car out in the parking lot, and he had just memorized the entire book of Hebrews. The entire book of Hebrews. Not to mention other books of the Bible that he, he memorized. Many passages in Psalms and Proverbs. This guy was like Jack Van Emby, the walking Bible or so. In my early ministry, it was common every Sunday to recite this Apostles' Creed in its traditional form. And let us, as we prepare for communion today, recite this, the Apostles' Creed. It's not uniquely the traditional version. In 68, when they came out with these new hymnals, they kind of dropped that, he descended into hell. Let us read this together. I believe in God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried in, what's the footnote? He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Look at your asterisk. What does that asterisk mean? Universal Church. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, this morning as we are really privileged to come by way of television and radio and expand our ministry and our outreach, those who are hospitalized and those who are in prisons and those who are shut-ins and unable to be with us here at Olivet United Methodist Church in sunny Robbinsdale on the north end of Sanborn Park and Lake Crystal. But we consider it a real privilege to be able to minister. As we participate in Holy Communion today, the Holy Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, we are doing this, as Jesus said in his word, do this in remembrance of me. We are celebrating that body that was broken for us, that blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We want to honor you in, in remembering the fact that if your body had not been broken, your blood had not been shed, we'd probably be still sacrificing pigeons and and animals, and poor innocent lambs. Because, Father, you became the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. We thank you, O Lord, as we look forward to the Holy Week, and we look forward to Sidar and the, that, that meal and the representative and the symbols that are representative of that, that first Passover, that which represented the, what was Jesus going to encounter. We know not the day or the hour of her return, but many of us believe that the, the world cannot get much more confused when people actually can rationalize in their minds killing of little babies, when they think they can protect us, when they don't protect even the little innocent babies. Father, this morning, help us to search out our hearts and our spirits. Help us to pray for one another for discernment in the times that we live in. For we pray this in thy name as thou hast taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're viewing by way of television this morning, our scripture reading is taken from 1 Peter's chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. If you're here at Olivet United Methodist Church in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, in the north end of Lake Crystal and Sanborn Park, you will find these passages of scriptures listed in your bulletins and in your Bibles on page 234 and 235 and in 4. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word today. Reading first this morning from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 and following. For Christ also suffered for his sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you and I to, to God. Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers made unto him. May God bless reading in 1 Peter chapter 3 and 1 Peter chapter 4, 6. For this is the reason the gospel was proclaimed even to the dead, so that though they had been judged in the flesh as everyone is judged, they might live in the spirit as God does. And turning with me to Matthew chapter 4, God's word according to Matthew chapter 4, 23 through 25, Jesus ministers to the crowds of people. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame, that's the fame of Jesus, spread throughout all Syria. And they brought to Jesus all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demonics, epileptics, and paralytics, and he, Jesus cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the river. Um, do you do you descend into hell? Like many pastors, I um, I learned to preach. I learned to preach by preaching, inflicting my my wares on certain small rural churches, which probably had more patience than members. And as might be expected, I, I seldom preached anywhere more than twice. I wandered the back roads of the north, one Sunday preaching here, and this, keep in mind, this is probably 55 years ago, even before I graduated from high school, I was called to preach um, in churches. I, at that time, my wouldn't consider myself necessarily a preacher, but I, I preached whenever I had the opportunity. I think even in my annual, they called me the preacher. I remember probably in a seventh or eighth grade speech class, um, I thought I could get actually through speech class with, without ever getting up in front of anybody and preaching. and. And it was like seventh or eighth grade pre 
preaching class. And up until the time of my preaching, I um, I was pulling a strong A. And I remember talking to the teacher and saying, well, is there any way of getting out of publicly preaching and talking? And the teacher says, no. And I was caught between preaching or publicly speaking and, and not getting my A that I really earnestly wanted. And I um, remember very distinctly, I always had a tendency to sit in the front row. I like sitting in the front row. And um, it came time for me to share and I had not prepared anything. I thought, I actually thought that maybe the Lord would deliver me. I wouldn't have to share anything. And I can still remember because T was kind of towards the end of the alphabet and I was in, you know, the clock on the wall and everybody was supposed to share about five minutes and I can still remember thinking, I'm going to get out of this. This is kind of the last week of May and you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to skip this public speaking stuff. And finally they, they came to O and P and then, then they jumped over some and then they came to T and my name came up. Ready? I was not ready because I had not planned on sharing anything, but I did have a Christian instructor, instructor that, that had a Bible, a Gideon Bible on her desk. And I remember picking the Gideon Bible up, opening, opening it up, and at that time, it opened to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I got up and I shared with the class 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you know 1 Corinthians 13 begins with, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love. I'm as a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Though I would, and I didn't have it memorized then, but I've utilized it many times since, though I would give up my body to be martyred for the sake of Christ, but did not have love, I would be nothing. Though I had faith to say to a mountain, mountain be moved and a mountain move, but did not have love, I am nothing. And then it went on to say, what is, what is being spiritual all about? Love is patient, love is kind. Love decides it's on its own way, does not keep track of wrongs in you know, the eight or nine virtues. Love, joy, peace, patience, fruits of the spirit. First Corinthians 13, we kind of, kind of considered the, the um, love chapter. And always, when I kind of launched my ministry, I think it was right from there, and that sixth or seventh grade, and I started spending more time with seniors, and you know, I'm, I had kind of very liberal parents that felt, well, as long as I was with somebody that was five or six years older than me, I was probably pretty safe. Little did they know that I think I provided the salt and the leaven to those who were five or six years older than me. Before the services began at various places I would go to share, I would very anxiously, anxiously check out the unfamiliar um, orders of worship. And I would kind of size up the sanctuary and the congregation and they would always prepare the bulletins and kind of insert me when I was supposed to share. And elders, we kind of called it elders. I grew up in the EUB, Evangelical United Brethren Church, and always the elders, That's and I would preach oftentimes in Nazarene churches too, the, the elders or the leaders of the church would graciously lead me around and, and they direct me to, um, the, they'd show me where the bathrooms were and, and they would get me a cup of coffee, which I would just probably taste. I, I never developed a taste for coffee. And we would chat about the church and we'd get to know a little bit about the church and in the direction that they'd want me to share in 
because shortly after that, I was tasked to be an impromptu speaker. Can you imagine, you know, going from not wanting to share publicly to being tasked by the speech teacher to um, represent our school with impromptu speech? where you would go to a certain gathering and they give, give you a topic and then, then you're supposed to go off on that topic. And little did I realize that I believe God always prompted me with, it might not be a topic that I was certainly not prepared for and didn't know anything about. And they'd give me these weird topics and I'd have to go publicly speak. And I we went from district to region to state as as an impromptu person. And here's a person that was um, very shy, didn't like to be public, but I kind of found my, my niche. And in these churches, we would chat about the church, we'd chat about um, certain things, and I could kind of get a sense of what they wanted me, what direction they wanted me to go. And then they'd give me a scripture, and then I'd go with that scripture, because up until that time, even when I was fifth, sixth grade, you know, I, I started reading when I was like in second, third grade, and I'd take this Gideon Bible, and I'd read the Bible, and I knew about the Bible, even as second and third grade. And they would direct me to various things in the church, and then they'd give me a scripture or topic, and then I'd share we would chat about the church in the middle, and in the middle of the conversation, I would inevitably slip in one question. I'd slip in one question. I'd say, oh, by the way, by the way, do you descend into hell? Do you descend into hell? Now, this is very common for me to say. Now, maybe it's kind of out of context today, but... You know, 50, 60 years ago, when you, one of the first requirements of confirmation or being a member of a church, you had memorized, you had truly memorized the Apostles' Creed. You knew the Apostles' Creed, frontward, ways, and backwards. And most people listening to the conversation would have found maybe that an odd thing to ask, but the elders of the various churches that I would share in knew what, what I needed. They knew what I needed. Not all churches do this descend into hell when they say the Apostles' Creed. You can imagine how embarrassing it is for, for a preacher to descend into hell all alone when you would memorize this Apostles' Creed like we've memorized the Lord's Prayer and a certain congregation would stand and they'd recite the Apostles' Creed in a more modernized, newer form, leaving off, descend into hell, and then I would say, descend into hell, all alone with the congregation, romping on a head, rising from the dead and ascending into heaven as the Apostles' Creed goes. Though most churches do they do do descend into hell. Years ago, not all churches recite the, the phrase of the Apostles' Creed. It became more recently my custom when I served churches more recently not to really belabor the Apostles' Creed because the utilization of the Apostles' Creed was something like belaboring the Lord's Prayer, something we've so memorized that we didn't really get the true effect from it. We remember that the creed was not handed down only by the apostles, and it wasn't carved in stone like the Ten Commandments, but rather developed over hundreds of years as a precise manner in which the church believed and taught and prepared the congregation for Communion, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, so that they could righteously partake of communion. And the phrase, he descended into hell, was one of the last portions of the creed to gain 
wide acceptance, and many churches still don't accept it, or at least they don't say it like it is. I know of churches, and I've been in churches, where they, they've so modified the Lord's Prayer that they don't use the Our Father, that the gender is, is a problem with them. So they have totally eliminated any masculine language from all the hymns and all the biblical references. One thing is clear as we prepare for Holy Communion this morning. We do not mean the same thing when we say it that early Christians meant when they said it. We just can't. Too much has happened over the years for, for that to be possible. If we imagine hell, imagine hell at all, we may conjure up um, visions of of scaly demons torturing the damned. We may think of a kind of spirit-level, many-tiered hell with the thermostat turned up higher for sinners of greater, greater wickedness. We, we manage, imagine maybe punishments ironically fitting the contours of, of um, people's iniquities and fallenness. And such a vision of hell is is um, our legacy in Western civilization and certainly in other civilizations. It's oftentimes brought out by the Africans and the Asians and the Latin Americans when the church is going through a split. We have learned what hell is like from paintings like Michelangelo's um, The Last Judgment. Have you seen that? The Last Judgment? Michael Angelos, or the hero Mas, the Bosches, the, the garden of their earthly, earthly delights. We have heard of the, the levels of hell and, and the ironic punishments from Dante and, and John Milton and the required readings that we had in English in our high school. And all of this is very wonderful and awful. And I'm grateful for that, this heritage, but it may not only be what Peter had in mind when he wrote to his little congregation in, in Asia Minor in First Peter about Christ's descent into the prisons of hell when he said the gospel was preached even to the dead. Gospel was preached even to the dead. Now when Peter thought and what Peter thought of was not Dante's, Dante's hell or Milton's hell, but it was the Jewish idea of Shiloh, Shiloh, the place of the dead, or the Greeks spoke of Hades. It wasn't only a hell in the sense of Dante's hell, it wasn't hell in the sense of a heaven and a hell. All the dead of the human race would wind up in Shiloh as kind of a waiting place. This is a big thing for the Watchtower Society and the Jehovah Witnesses. All the dead of the human race, the good as well as the bad, the, the wise as well as the foolish, the saints as well as the sinners, the, the Jews as well as the Gentiles. All the dead that had died before Christ, all the dead gathered there. And if, if Jesus was crucified, and if Jesus was dead, and if Jesus was buried, where else would he go but the land of the dead? Modern translations of the, the Apostles' Creed even say it was that way that he descended to the dead, and they refer to that as, that, as a form of Hades or Sheol or hell. Jesus went into the place of the dead. People did not necessarily live in Shiloh. They died there. They existing a, a shadow, a shadowy where the darkness and the silence were, were never broken by joy or laughter or praise of God or memory of life here upon earth. Or at least that's how Peter and the other first century Christians would have imagined this abyss. 
It may not be how we imagine hell, but, but that's okay. That's okay. Another reason we cannot mean the same thing as early Christians meant when they said he descended into hell the third day and he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, is that we just don't think of hell being literal now. But whatever hell is, it's much more than we can ever imagine, whether it's geographically down and heaven is up. We need not condescendingly assume that all early Christians thought of heaven is up or hell down, but some surely did. Their universe had three stories, heaven, earth, Sheol. And when we think of heaven and hell, we may not know precisely or literally up or down what John Calvin and Martin Luther and John Wesley and Apostle Paul and Peter, as they wrote of Christ's descent and interpretation into hell, it's one of the most marvelous and moving passages of, of their institutes or their disciplines or their writings. But the notion that hell is a prison under the earth can be imagined. Even the most literal-minded fundamentalist no longer may believe that hell is down under the earth. Although I did listen to a show last night on National Geographic about the hole that's in Antarctica, We understand the meaning. Sometimes when someone is depressed, they say, you look really down. You look really down. Or we see someone excited or enthusiastic and we say, you really look up today. Up and down can be useful metaphors to speak of maybe spiritual life, but, but we don't think of heaven as literally up and hell as literally down. Still we say, he descended into hell and he ascended into heaven. But what does it mean to say that? It, it, it may be kind of this, this notion, and sometimes it's a controversial one, but its meaning is simplified in itself. In Christ's descent into hell, we see the fullness of Christ's embrace of human life. Now, if Jesus not only lives the life we live, he dies the death that we die, and then he follows that well-worn trail to stand in solidarity with all of us who died. Father, this morning, as we prepare for Holy Communion and we decide ourselves our relationship with Christ, Jesus did not shrink from taking our weaknesses upon himself. And because Jesus has walked among the dead, we can have hope. Even for the most deadly and God-forsaken times of our living and our dying, that's what it means. But even after saying what it means, we are left a little empty. That is that all there is? Something seems to be missing. And something is. When, when Peter reminds his, his struggling congregations and in First Peter, this struggling small congregation that Christ preached to the spirits in prison. He not only was just asking them to remember a meaning, he was calling to mind a story. They know the story already. Peter only reminds them that when we say he descended into hell, we are speaking of a part of the Christ story. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead, and buried and descended into hell. It's, it's a true story. It's a reality that's probably more than we can ever imagine. The descent into hell is part of the story. Even after Jesus' death, that story goes on and what Jesus did in his earthly ministry, he does in the place of the dead. That's the story Peter points to when he says, Christ preached to the spirits in prison. That's the story we are meant to remember when we say he descended into hell. Peter's congregation and those early apostles and disciples knew that story. And all he had to do was remind them. Early Christians knew the story. 
But sometimes we forget that story. Though we may not know exactly how the story was told in Peter's church, we do know how it was told during the second and the third centuries. A little masterpiece of Christian literature has been passed on to us. And this is a part of our inheritance. The story of this very dramatic, so we think of it as a drama. And the curtains are drawn back to reveal a, a stage that Christ is set before us. And with every head bowed and every eye closed and those by way of radio and television, there are many things in Scripture that we do not understand. But there are many things that we do understand and we don't do. And we should be more concerned about not those things we don't know about, but those things that we know about and we don't do. Sins of commission and sins of omission. And with every head bowed and every eye closed as we prepare for Holy Communion today, may we make this public confession. Dear Jesus, I want to thank you for your love of me, for dying for me. Your body was broken, your blood was shed for the forgiveness of my sins. Come into my heart and life. I repent. Empower me by our Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn with me now as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, purple hymnals, United Methodist hymnals, pages 9 through 11. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and a joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image. You breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who were oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. Jesus healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism and suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church. You delivered us from slavery, sin, and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. And when the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. And on the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread and gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance... Of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Until Christ comes in final victory, and we feast at his heavenly banquet through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. As the ushers control a comfortable number, you may come and you may so choose to stand or kneel, and if at any time you would like to be served, if you do, let us know. If there are those by way of television or radio that would like to be served, do, um, do let us know, but come, come now. Because there is one loaf, we who are many 
our one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. Please come. And I'd like to ask Gary and Mike if you'd come and assist. So choose to remain standing, or may so choose to kneel. His body, which is broken for you, his blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Again, Jesus says in John, the 8th chapter, the 12th verse, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. They who follow me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Partake of his body and his blood. Arise now and go in peace, and may the bread of heaven nourish your soul unto everlasting life. Arise and go in peace. And in his service may you find perfect freedom. Arise and go in peace, and may the light of the world shine in your pathway and in your heart forever. Amen. Christ and your neighbor. If you join us by way of television or radio and you would like to participate in the body and blood of Christ, do let us do let us know and we do home visitations and home communions. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. You may so choose to kneel or you may so choose to stand. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John, the 14th chapter, the 6th verse. Jesus said in John, the 15th chapter, the 5th and 8th verse, I am the vine, you are the branches. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Again, Jesus said in John the 15th chapter, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. His body that's broken for you, his blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins, the body and blood of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew the 5th chapter, the 14th verse, You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever would save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. 
Jesus said in Matthew, the seventh chapter, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise person who built their house 